Marty Constant, workplace futurist, the woman who coined the phrase career agility with a nice book behind you with a nice teal background. So welcome, welcome to LinkedIn Live with Jack Kelly. Good morning. How's everything? I'm doing great, Jack. I'm just so excited to be talking to you because you're one of the most impressive thought leaders I know and just love the way you write. Well, thank you. I, you know, I don't even consider myself a thought leader, so I really appreciate that. And thank you for the compliment. And I, I think we should end the show right here. Right? So I'm a winner. You know, I get this great praise. And all right, that was a short show. Thanks. <laughs> so let me ask you this. I, one of the things I've noticed that people don't talk enough about is career branding. You know, how do you stand out in a tough market where there are a lot of layoffs, downsizing, slow hiring process? Um, do you have any ideas for people who maybe aren't getting traction to maybe help how they could brand themselves to get noticed? All right. So I have, you know, it depends on who you are. If you're working at a corporation right now and you want to elevate your presence within your industry and your organization, there is one way of looking about it and it, it takes a longer time. If you're in between jobs or you're looking for roles, you're going to want some quick hits. And so right. if I were in that role, I would want to be able to talk about myself in such a way uh, you notice that Jack talked about me as being a workplace futurist. That's intentional. Um, years ago, when the, the expression technologist was added to marketing, I became a marketing technologist. So when I was looking for work, there weren't that many marketing technologists around when, when social came onto the scene. So it's about naming yourself what you are, and you have control over that. Um, so to answer your question about what are some things you can do, one of the things that I mentioned is to develop uh, three to five career branding phrases for yourself so that when you are in a cocktail conversation, which I don't think we have that much anymore, uh -huh. but later, the metaphorical yeah. elevator, that you have something that's very memorable that someone will uh, remember. And I'll give you an example of three uh, branding statements that uh, I actually did uh, developed uh, with a super, super easy prompt on ChatGPT. What I did is I took the LinkedIn content under your about section, yes, yours. You don't have to go to the external world. It's what you've written about yourself. It's what other people have said about you. And maybe throw in a few comments that others have said about you in the recommendations section, let's say. So you go through two sections, you throw it into a prompt and say, act as a brand innovator and create these short branding statements. And I went through three individuals' mm -hmm. uh, profiles well, they didn't have to do anything. And one of the, the phrases that came out was, I am the architect of aha moments, crafting curriculum that sparks yeah. understanding. And that so catches this, your attention. That does catch your attention a lot, right? This was a, um, a L and D, a learning and development leader, a course curriculum developer mm -hmm. um, that wanted to stand out. So this, you might say, well, that might not sound like me. 
edit it, make it your own. But, you know, the architect of aha moments is kind of a memorable thing. So then another one was a lot of times people say, you know, Marty, my superpower is I solve problems. Every engineer on the planet that I've ever talked to says I solve problems and so does everybody else. And I'm thinking that's not so memorable. Everybody is supposed to solve problems. And why would that be important? So you might say something like, tell me why we should hire you. Well, when explaining complex tech, I turn gibberish into genius. The words that I use and the research that I do result in A, B, and C. Um, so that was kind of fun, you know, just to play on words. Um, and then another, uh, Another individual was uh, an MD and he worked in uh, tech and uh, he was looking for things that would set him aside. And I went through his LinkedIn profile and um, ChatGPT came up with this word that I did not. It says, I'm the physicianpreneur who fluently speaks the languages of medicine, technology, and business. And so those are three quick hit examples that don't take a lot of effort. I can share that prompt with you too um, as well. If your listeners are curious, um, I've published it um, within LinkedIn on my profile. So if you scroll a little bit, you'd probably find it. But you could develop um, one of the richest ways is going through your recommendation section. Maybe you don't have a recommendation. Mm -hmm. You do emails and you ask people, what they think your strong points are. Or you might even throw in some of your strengths statements in there um, to get phrases that make you memorable. So I like where you, I, I like this idea. And um, with chat GPT or you know, there's there's a lot of other AI platforms now, which is great, so that you could put into it and to help like amp up your brand to come up with some interesting things. And I guess they could also be very short too, right? Like maybe just a really catchy, uh, uh, you know, let's say I'm a recruiter, like the king of compliance recruiting. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't say that because that sounds weird, but you know, something that's really catchy to make you stand out in a crowd. Do you remember, Marty, there was a time, maybe a few years ago, where the like the titles were crazy. It was something, everything had to be a ninja or what have you. Do you remember that? Like, it was just so over the top. Uh, but what you're saying isn't really over the top. This is more of trying to be descriptive, but it seems like also you're having a little fun with it as well. It's almost like a wink and a nod, right? Like you're branding, but you're not being too stuffy. Is that is that a fair way to look at it? The ones that I showed you could be more yeah. of a, could be something uh, that be the banner in your LinkedIn profile. Yeah. But then there's other ones that you know aren't through ChatGPT. It's just looking at what your abilities are and what other things you're good at. Um, here's a couple things. Why should we hire you or why are you special? I have an uncanny ability to notice what others miss. Mm -hmm. um, if you're working in the customer experience space or customer support, you might say something like, I always have the curiosity to ask one more question, mm -hmm. clarify the underlying issue. In my experience, clients and customers usually don't say what they mean in the first few minutes. You know, so you, you could immediately imagine that person on your team being the good listener and able to go in there. 
Um, or I bring a network that enables you to assemble a team of superpowers who co-create solutions in real time. So you're letting them know. Uh, and these are all items that you could use instead of saying, I solve problems. So, so it sounds like what you're, what you're doing in part, Marty, is to take a traditional answer that you would give in an interview or you know, in some meeting or what have you, but just make it stand out so that you stand out. So you're just not, if you're interviewing for a job and we've all seen this, you, you, you know, you apply for a job and you see there's 200 other people who already applied. And you're like, how am I going to make myself different? So what in part, it sounds like what you're trying to do is, hey, if there are 200, 300 people who are applying for the same job, you have to stand out. You have to, you know, want to brand yourself in a way that the hiring manager is going to say, huh, I want to speak to Marty first. This, you know, she seems unique. Is, is that kind of part of the goal? Yes, that's part of the goal. And so yeah. what you're getting at, Jack, is um, interviewing responses, conversational responses. Make these phrases your own that fits you and your conversational style. So there's a couple uh, really well-known people in branding. I would say Dory Clark would be one of them. It's written about branding extensively. Uh, David Breyer is another one in the advertising arena, helping organizations. And one of the things uh, David says is, let's just avoid those trite phrases. Mm -hmm. I call yeah. them Teflon phrases. So what are the Teflon phrases? I'm a quick learner. I'm a problem solver. I'm a people person. I'm a team player. If you can say, so what behind that? Like, tell me more, then you know you haven't done your work in developing your story. So part of this is, the narrative, it's the confidence about how you answer a question. Again, we're, we've sort of morphed into yeah. interview questions, but this is a really important part of it. And, and getting back to your uh, question about branding, if you um, have more time, mm. uh, I would say the next thing to do is to create some uh, interesting uh, LinkedIn posts. Uh, I, I knew a guy who worked in quality assurance. You might not even know what that is. You know, somebody with an engineering background who works in software technology and actually works to, to make the, the code or the, the process better um, and making certain that they're testing that this software does what it's supposed to do. And so this person was in between roles and um, he was a friend of mine. And I said, mm -hmm. um, he started... Uh, saying in his LinkedIn post um, how he, uh, you know, how he would get roles for contract work while looking for other work. So it was a role that was addressing like a broader thing. So he wrote a few articles, really, really good stuff. He got tons of interest. He had an amazing contract role within 30 days after that. Um, and then that role ended up being converted uh, after about six months to full-time. And he's now living, um, he moved from Chicago to the West Coast or Northwest region. Um, and it was just really interesting because he was a person in the age category that was closer to 70 than he was 50. And uh, there was just no discrimination whatsoever in his 
you know, in approaching him because how he was presenting himself online, you know, how he talked about his bicycling, you know, all those kinds of things. But that's another story. But uh, LinkedIn, LinkedIn engagement is just an absolute great next thing to do after working on some of your statements. Statements make you feel good. Uh, they define who you are and make sure you develop three, five, seven of them and, and take them out when they're appropriate and then start using them on your, your LinkedIn profile in strategic ways. So, so it sounds like part of the whole branding would be social media. And, and I guess it also would depend on the kind of work you do. So maybe if you're a creative, you'd be on TikTok and try to brand yourself on TikTok. If maybe you're white collar, mid-level senior on LinkedIn, uh, maybe maybe on Twitter, something different. So it sounds like a whole it'll be holistic, right? Where you have to have that branding of yourself so that when people see your content, when you post things, it's it's gonna kind of they're gonna remember you. Right, right. And I think um, the word I would use to uh, encompass that is um, content marketing. Um, I worked as a chief marketer and a VP of marketing for tech companies for many years. And I realized when uh, Reid Hoffman wrote his book, The Startup of You, over 10 years ago, it was just, it was a stunning book. You know, Reid Hoffman founded LinkedIn and he, he wrote this book that said, you know, you, you, you just, you know, you need to act like you are a market that is, is uh, uh, you're promoting your services, you're writing the content, the startup of you. Dory Clark says this in the same way. And the more you can feel like you are a marketing engine, which is counterintuitive for a lot of people. It's easy for me. I was in marketing. But when people find, when the light bulb finally goes off and you realize, ah, it's about more than me getting interviews. It's about how I show up. It's about how the organization I used to work saw me. Um, if you're working for an organization right now, it's how they see me now. You know, see, that leads to something I've always seen with recruiting. And you got to figure me, I got, I don't know if it's allergies or a cold or a combination. So I see like somebody starts in an organization and they're doing well, years go by and the senior management still view that person as the young one who started out. So when it comes time to get maybe a promotion or raise, what have you, their view is still Jack or Marty when they were 24 but now they're 34. And is I would imagine that's a good case for branding throughout the process. So you make sure your managers and bosses know, hey, I've evolved over the years. I'm not that same kid who came in the door, you know, like naive and not know anything. Look what I've done. Is that part of like what you need to do on a regular basis, you know, within your company to make sure that they understand Here's who I am. Here's what I'm doing. Here's what I've accomplished. And I guess without really being a braggart, but making sure they realize, hey, this is who I am. This is my brand. This is what I've done. This is what I've accomplished so that they understand it. Is that, is that part of it too? That's part of it too. Yeah. And I'll go back to uh, something that Reed 
Hoffman said when he was growing LinkedIn, yeah. when he was younger, is, is what um, it's important for you to develop and, and engage in two to three year tours of duty. And what that means is become really expert at what you do and then grow into the next stage mm -hmm. of your career. So I will use marketing as an example. I spent a lot of time in it. So say you started out uh, as a marketing coordinator right. and got into data research, or now you're into AI analytics. Uh, there's lots of different ways to go marketing, or you can go straight pro uh, product management, being responsible for a whole line of products within a consumer packaged goods company. So mm -hmm. There's lots of different ways that you can work in marketing and it's important. Um, the idea is if you're not growing, you may be perceived as stagnating. This might not work for everyone who becomes an extreme specialist, but for most of us, when people see us growing and raising our hand and saying, <clears throat> I want in on that project and here's what I can bring to the table, you can make your name for a parallel idea. So you're known for, say you're known for um, the person that is always calm under fire and uh, you're the person that always manages projects extremely well, but you wanna be known for some other things. Maybe you wanna be known for aspects of an innovation lab within your company. Um, and it's, in, it's, it's important for you to take the responsibility to seek out the people within your organization that you can hang out with and maybe get on a part of a project. And then you talk about it. And then when they ask for the person to do the presentation on this, you are right in line. That is part of your brand. When you do a presentation, when you write a white paper, that is part of you. And this is how people grow within organizations. We always wonder how those people that are so famous and rise to the top grow. And this is how they do it. They don't necessarily stand still and they take on stretch assignments. Can we kind of circle back a little bit when you were talking about Reed Hoffman and the tour of duty? Because I'd love to pivot to that uh, area for a bit. When I started recruiting 25 years ago-ish, if I sent, let's say you were a hiring manager and I sent you a resume of a person who's only been there a year or two, they would be appalled. They'd be like, Jack, what are you doing? Like, that's one, two years? That's crazy. You know, what's wrong with the person? Seriously, they would, they would be like, I don't understand it. Fast forward till now, it seems from the tech sector, they changed the whole game, not only in terms of, you know, the economy and business and all that, but in terms of employment. So, right. So their ideas, you pointed out, it's like you stay at a company for one, two years and then learn, network, grow. And then you go to another company, learn more, network more, grow. And that seems to be the, that seems to now permeate everywhere, not just tech. Well, what Reed was suggesting Many organizations suggest they organizations don't want to lose their top contributors. Right. What they're interested in as an organization is, is to develop you and to give you those opportunities. Mm -hmm. And so that was one of the biggest um, 
examples that I talked about in my career agility model was if you view your career as a series of projects, mm-hmm. series of projects, each project can be a different company or it could be seven different roles within one company. So it's not job hopping. It could be, and you're right. People aren't looking down at people that move companies as much now, but it's just as valuable, maybe even more valuable at times to stay at an organization. Um, And I I actually, I I knew someone, I'm a mentor and I, I helped someone who was, really upset. She had worked in in one of the world's, you know, most impressive PR firms. And she was young at the time. She was young. She was a millennial. Now it's the Gen Z's, but Mm -hmm. she was getting impatient. And I said, well, what is it that you want? And she told me what she wanted. They were having um, an attrition problem. People were coming in and she was working in New York. They're coming in and everybody was leaving. She goes, I think we need training and I think we need this. And I would love to lead that. And I said, who do you know within the organization that you can talk to, to socialize this? And I said, and don't keep this from your boss. Talk to your boss about this too. She eventually ended up working on projects, um, for this training, she had to do a dual role for a while. She jumped over it. She held three discrete roles within this company, was uh, traveling all over the world with her work and became one of the organization's youngest VPs in a, in a fairly, and she moved from New York to San Francisco because she wanted a change. She wanted to work in a different corporate office. Um, and this is an example of someone who was ready to jump just like so many people are ready to jump. Sometimes it's good to take a second look and go, hmm, there might be something more for me here. Yeah, I'm with you on this, especially in this market right here, right now today. In my opinion, we're kind of in this weird white collar recessionary time period where if you're a blue collar worker, a frontline worker, and you look at the you know monthly jobs report, there's so many jobs out there for them. Lately, not as much in, you know, the the white collar space. So it kind of makes sense from what you're saying to say, hey, if maybe there's not a lot, and this is from a recruiter, I want people to move. That's how I make my living. But you, you, at certain times, you may want to just stay put, right? And and stay where you are, wait it out to see what's going to happen. So for those people who want to kind of stay with the organization and grow, is there any like how-to guys, like like what you would think someone could do and say to make sure you know, so they, you know, get noticed, get plan what to do next, how to get that promotion, or maybe even a lateral just to learn something new? I mean, I've been reading a lot on LinkedIn. They call it, you know, the the lattice configuration versus the ladder so that you can move where the intersection of your interest and your mm-hmm. talents lie. And um, yes, there's lots of books. They've, they've all been written. They they often come under the idea of leadership. Um, they often come under the idea of career growth. Um, there's uh, a, a good book called Career Switchers. Um, there's, there's just lots of different Mm-hmm. books out there. Um, and then there's blogs out there that talk about career navigation. You just 
put it in there, you put career navigation in on Google, and you will find, you know, the top 10. You could even put it in on um, chat GPT or um, Claude, which is uh, the, the next um, chat bot that I'm really interested in. Mm -hmm. Put it in there and find out, um, you know, those items. One of the things that I do is I make it a habit of reading books about leaders that have navigated um, kind of high profile. So the one I did recently was uh, Bob Iger's The Ride of a Lifetime. Um, so he's a CEO of Disney, but he started out, he just started out with a regular degree and he started out in the lowest of the lowest rung at ABC. And it just, it wasn't like, wasn't a great job, but he found out about news and entertainment and he, you know, he worked his way up, but it was interesting how you take a book like that and you go, well, how does that really relate to me? When you look at a book like that and see what he did for networking, you know, he had things that happened to him that were happenstance mm -hmm. as well. However, he optimized those opportunities and it's, it's a story, to me, it was a story that was written in a conversational tone. Um, it was a, a page turner and he sat in that number two role under Eisner for 10 years because Eisner wasn't leaving. Mm -hmm. So it looked at all the different things that he did to solidify his position and and then just like we were talking about earlier, he created a marketing campaign for himself. He didn't think of it. He got it from his coach. His coach said, his coach and good buddy said, you need to create a campaign for yourself. You will never step into this role unless you do something about it. I just thought he was promoted. I had no idea that this kind of thing goes on behind the scenes with, with really famous and well-known people as well. So what I'm hearing in part is this, for people who are, maybe they've been interviewing, not having luck. So next step is, hey, I'm going to stay where I am, but I want to grow. Do you think like, you know, the example you gave, but let's take it to like, you know, regular person, but Iger started out, as you mentioned, kind of just regular foot in the door. Would would you suggest that maybe you go to your manager, like your your, your boss or maybe HR and say, Hey, I love, you know, I love this company. I love the people. I want to stay here, but I'd like to go to the next level or learn something. Is that okay to say, or does that put you in a spot? Like they worry, uh Oh, this person's a flight risk. I'm a little worried. Well, what do you think? Is that kind of like a first dip your toe in the water to see if there is room to grow? There's no one rule for this. It depends mm -hmm. on your bosses and who okay. you are and how comfortable you are. Um, I always um, let my bosses know what I was anticipating and what I wanted to do and when I got my MBA and what, what my next step was. Mm -hmm. um, it wasn't always received well. Um, you know, sometimes there's people that want to derail your progress, mm -hmm. um, even in the same company. So you never really get away to the politics, but to me, you know, the expression, what have you got to lose? I guess you could lose your job. You could get fired. You probably right. fired because you were, you were just ambitious and had a good conversation. Right. 
And I'd imagine you have to shape it in a way that you don't feel like you're giving a threat. Like, hey, if I don't, if you don't promote me, I'm leaving the heck with you. So it sounds like maybe, because you're right, I could easily see a manager feel like, huh, and take it personal. Like, why is Jack wanting to leave and go to this other division within the company? That's rude. All I did for him. And then maybe even sabotage it. So I can't get that, you know, that lateral move. So I guess- as we're talking it through, Marty, I think it sounds like you have to really be very careful and choose your words. So let's say you're my boss. I'll say, hey, Marty, I love you. You're great. I've learned so much from you. You're my mentor. You're my hero. And, but, you know, I'm really interested in learning X, Y, and Z. Would, would you be okay if, if maybe you could help me see if I could kind of learn that and do it in a way where you're not threatening, you're not pushing, you're not whatever, and you're, and you're showing, hey, I have the deepest respect for you because we're all human, you know, and, and this way you as the boss aren't going to get, you know, ticked off. Is that kind of maybe a thing to do to just just work on that? Absolutely. But mm -hmm. I would also add to that, I would say that mm -hmm. I would socialize this idea with a couple of trusted people within the organization. Just say, you know, I've been thinking about mm. this. I've been thinking about this idea. You know, we're short. Uh, we're our retention is really bad for the newest people on staff here in New York. I think um, they're under-trained and overworked. I'd like to do something about that. What do you think of that? And where, where do you think um, would be a way um, to help with that? Just socialize that and socialize it with other, you know, maybe other VPs or other directors, uh, but not behind the back. You, you definitely share it with the boss as well, but socialize mm -hmm with a trusted friend that's not going to immediately say to the boss, oh, so-and-so's looking, just socialize it until you find out if your ideas have legs. Um, and then what happens, and what happened in the instance that I shared, is that other senior leader um, backed up this younger person and was talking highly about them. So what happens is when you are socializing ideas and you're curious and you want their input. When you're asking someone for advice, how can I make this company better? How can they look upon that as something that would be negative? See, I really like that advice because I, I am a big fan of what you just you know mentioned. It you know sometimes you think you have all the answers, right? You're like, oh, I know what to do. Then you reach out to your you know, trusted coworkers and colleagues and peers. And you kind of bounce it off of them. And then all of a sudden, they tell you a whole bunch of things that you didn't even consider. And you're like, oh, man, I'm so glad I asked. Because they may have some information that you don't know that could either be helpful, hurtful, whatever. And this way, it also gives you the color. Because they may say, oh, you know what, Jack? There is this opening in this area. And I'm buddies with that person. So I'll totally get you in there. Or they could say, you know what? Be careful. If you want to do what you want to do, that boss over there, don't go there, you know? So, so this way you get some input and just don't go rashly, you know, into something and then you later regret it. So I, I like that advice. And, and I guess the key is though, Marty, right? You just have to be able to trust them that they're going to keep it quiet and, you know, help you out and not sabotage you. I mean, there, there are risks. Yeah. Um, I worked, you know, I worked myself all the way up to a CMO position and I worked mm -hmm. in stage tech companies, um, did great uh, contract work out in Silicon Valley for um, you know, very large global mm -hmm. 
companies and I've seen it all. And there are times when, you know, you're, you inadvertently step on someone's toes um, and you have to have a pretty thick skin about it. I mean, we, you and I probably know a lot of people that have left corporations that said, you know what, I don't want to do this anymore Mm -hmm. in corporations, but we also know a lot of people who thrive in corporations. And so we all find our place. Uh, some of my best lessons have been working for, um, for and inside larger organizations that have a global view of markets and um, talent mobility and you know items that opened my eyes up. Whereas if you're you know when you're working for yourself, you can sometimes just it it seems a little bit more insular. So working, you know, helping people in big organizations, which is what I, you know, I speak and train within large organizations. It's just really a lot of fun because I understand what it's like on the inside. Now, how about this? What about, um, are you familiar you, you, uh, with job crafting? The idea where you could come up with, you know, going to your manager, your boss, supervisor and say, hey, you know, I love, just like we talked before, you know, I love where I am. It's great. But I was hoping maybe I could do and then flesh out some of the extra things you want to do. And you might even be in the same job, but now you can take on other responsibilities, other tasks, learn some new things. So you could stay within the organization, but you kind of now feel like, hey, I'm, I'm picking up some skills that could really help me in the future. Yeah. So to me, job crafting, um, reminds me a lot of parallel pursuits of doing things on the side. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm not talking about gig work on the side, about taking on a special project within an organization that meets your interest levels and gains you exposure into the company. And I think it's totally fine. And it, it, and it's, it's always, it's depends. Some people that you work for and with are going to be open to it. And others are not because you're too valuable mm-hmm. in the role that you do. You are so productive and you are so, you know, helpful to everybody. You groom everybody, you cultivate others. They may not want to, to leave you, go to another role. And then you have to evaluate, talk to your mentors, talk to your coaches and say, these are my issues. What might be useful? I think um, high communication, uh, that's one of my um, instincts always. Um, it sometimes it's burned me and sometimes it's helped me enormously. And I can tell you when it burned me, it really, really hurt. Um, it came in the form of sabotage. And, um, you know, I was interviewing for another role within the corporation and uh, I actually got the job offer and uh, it, it, it did not make for good politics. Um, and it was, it, it was really, it was a painful time in my career, but I don't, like, I have to be me. I'm a high communicator, so I am going to do that. I'm not one of these people that, that navigate 100% behind. I might do research. I might um, get a, a certification. I might do more schooling. Um, I might do some coaching and that's all about me and I own that and that could be private. Uh, But when it comes to expressing what you want, um, I learned when I was 23 years old, 
I was spitting angry at, at, at somebody. It was a leader within this tech company. I was so angry and so offended and so uninformed. And I wanted to go to a person that was higher than my boss. Mm -hmm. And I got coached out of that. And I, I remembered saying, no, you don't do that. Because I remember thinking, well, this person that's higher really likes me, right? You don't go and air the dirty laundry. You figure it out. You navigate in and around it. So there are certain rules that you can't do to pave your way. You know, one of them is, you know, you just never say, um, you know, bad stuff about other people in the organization that are above you. If you want to share, you know, some negative stuff mm. with someone who's interviewing for a role in another job and that, that boss was a train wreck, that's like kind of quiet, that's different, but you never go over someone's head. Uh, I agree. It's, it's, it's a dangerous thing if you just say certain things because it could come back and haunt you. But let, hey, you're since you you love looking into kind of the future of the workplace, and right now we're seeing so many changes happening, particularly with AI. What do you, what do you see happening now, and where do you see things going? Do you have a sense? Well, I do. I'm I work with a team of people uh, globally, and we just we've been. Um, uh, presenting and helping organizations. And one of the things that uh, we were aware of is between last November and now there's probably about 30,000 more AI companies. There's 58,000 companies that are tracked right now. As of That's crazy. <laughs> right? It's three weeks ago. I, I tried to get a more current, right. my current number is 58,000 companies. Um, and I have my favorites. Um, there's a lot of chatbots. There's a lot of chat GPT mm -hmm. uh, lookalikes. Um, the, uh, some of the founders of OpenAI have started a company called Anthropic, and they put out um, a chatbot called Claude. It's in its second version. It's Claude 2 now. And it is magnificent. It takes really large blocks of content, even larger than um, larger than ChatGPT. So I alternate between tools. It's really good, mm -hmm. you know, tools. Um, there's also, you know, different tools that uh, create, you know, text to visuals. You know, there's the, the Discord mid-journey relationship. Mid-journey is going to be web-based in a few months, I hear, which is going to make it easier and not so complicated. Uh, so this idea of creating art that you can use for yourself and images in minutes versus having to search and wonder, is this, you know, can I use this? It's off of Google or can I use this? Or it looks like everyone else's images because I get it on Unsplash and everyone else is using the same images. So I think um, I've given you a couple ways that I've used tools, but they're, you know, my colleagues would say that there's about 20 to 30 really good tools right now that can be used. Everything from writing improvement um, to uh, innovation development. Um, and the big game right now is um, figuring out what tools to use in your workflows. I will use marketing as an example again. Say you are a marketing manager and you are um, creating a, um, 
you know, you're launching a new product or making a new market in a new geographic region, how does one do that? There is a process flow that we all go through. We start out with research. We start doing testing. And then we start creating plans of how we're going to do that. And then we implement those plans. And you can do, you can break down that workflow and use some of these tools to be your creative agent. Um, I think there's a stat now that says a human being can come up with, you know, five, five, a little bit over five ideas in 15 minutes. Uh, for it, for like an innovation brainstorming lab, um, the AI can come up with a thousand, right? And so it's it's a matter of you sifting through. So we say, where are the humans going to be doing? The humans are going to be the editors. The humans are going to be the pilots. The humans are going to be the people that say, does this idea have legs? Is this a product that we could start testing? Um, so it's all about mm and the workflows. We have to deconstruct our workflows and our processes to see how we get our work done. And then as people who work in corporations, if you know how to do this and you have thoughts about this, they're going to think that you are valuable because they are. these corporations are integrating AI. I think there's like less than, you know, less than 10 to 20% that are integrating AI as a policy within their organization um, because there's all these ethics issues. So there's lots lots to consider. Uh, and if you become part of the people that plan and help the organization, you're gonna make yourself more valuable and you're gonna help your people be the humans, the rich humans that they need to be on the job. So what do you think people should do? Because you'll see stories saying, AI is going to come after your job. You know, there's, you know, the World Economic Forum, Goldman had some study where the numbers of people who lose their jobs, like they're so huge, I don't want to depress people. So I won't even talk about it. So, so a lot of, you know, you have some folks saying, hey, jobs are going to be lost. Others say, hey, because of the new, you know, AI and other new technologies is going to create more jobs. Do you have a sense of, is it a little bit of both or what, what do you think? I know the numbers you're talking about and we can say it, you know, three years ago, World Economic Forum said um, 85 million jobs will be lost, but there's going to be 96 million new ones. Recently, they came out with the same report. I always read the press yeah. release because it gets right to the point is that it's 85 million jobs lost but there's only 70, I don't know if it's 79, like it's less, hmm. right? right? So the numbers right. are changing. So people are right to be concerned. And the only way to insulate yourself is to figure out how to work in and around the tools that I'm talking about, because it will, the tools will need to be managed. The the human, uh, I call them cobots. You know, you need to be a cobot with the robots so that um, you can help manage this process. So it's, you know, the famous saying is, it's not, you know, it's the people, it's not AI that's putting you out of a job. It's the people who use AI 
will put you out of a job. You know, related to this, Marty, one thing I'm a little concerned of is this. There's a lot I've seen, and uh, you know, kind of a lot of ageism in the in the job market, where, and to be fair, I think is a combination of the age, but then because you've been working longer, you're probably making more money than a younger person, so then it becomes easier to push aside the more senior person to save money, and let's be frank, there's you know prejudices and discrimination, biases, and all that, and I think. With AI and and all new technologies, that could exacerbate it because then if people don't keep track of it, it makes them feel it makes them look old and out of touch. Are there ways that you know people of a certain vintage could make sure that they stay fresh on any new development? That, for instance, what you're talking about, Claude and 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 all the other types of platforms. So so when they interview. Or when they have conversations, their view is, wow, this person is spot on. Wow, this person knows more than I do. And I'm a Gen Z or I'm a millennial. Any, any advice for them to make stay relevant? I um, The 70 plus quality assurance engineer that I spoke mm-hmm. of earlier, mm-hmm. um, he sends me articles all the time about AI. Have you yeah. heard of this? this? This guy is so curious and researches all the time and it gets me so excited um he's he's been interviewed for publications he's just a a, a very um i guess a fun interested and interesting person um so i don't think age has ever been an issue Mm -hmm. for him because he won't let it but he's also had people that have been willing to adopt and accept who he is Mm -hmm. i'm sure out, but he just doesn't go there. Um, I am a board member of the Age Equity Alliance, and we're working, you know, really hard to um, to make change in how organizations have policies around this. That's a long, long job. Mm-hmm. What you're talking about is more immediate. What can I do? What can right. you? Um, as an employee. And the only thing you can do is get curious and be aware and start experimenting with some of these tools so that you don't get overwhelmed. It's kind of like when the internet came out. You know, there there was like jokes back then. The internet's not going to take over everything. Of course it did. And there were people that... um, you know, dug in their heels on it. Um, I mean, I I knew a guy that didn't, uh, I knew a CEO of a company that I worked for once that refused to use a computer, seriously. See, and this is what I mean. Like some people, they don't, they're not looking forward and it's going to hold them back. Right, so he didn't, but he had people around him and he was a CEO founder, so it didn't affect him. So there is that mindset that, um, you know, that you can do it, just but just beware that the opportunity cost of digging your heels in mm-hmm. to I just want to be me and I just don't want to deal with all the ethical considerations of AI and all that um, are going to be high. Uh, they're going to be high. There are times when I I try to learn something. I I seriously had never used a Google form 
designed one myself until the other night. I'm on another board and I wanted to do a, a survey. And I thought, you know, people have been doing this for 10 years. I haven't done my own Google right. form. They used to have Google surveys. Now they have Google forms. And I thought, I'm just going to learn it. I did a search on Google. I figured out how to create a Google form. It's not hard. It took 10 minutes. And I was embarrassed that I have not been using yeah. this extremely valuable tool. It's just an example. Just go on, look at a video. Everything's out there for us and it's all free. You know what I find helpful too? Even if let's say you didn't know how to do that form, but just being aware of it sometimes helps too. So when you're having conversations and something comes up, you don't have that blank look of like, huh, blockchain, what's blockchain? Or something like that, where it really makes you feel like the people around you like, wow, this, what's, how can you not know this? So I, I think it's helpful too, yes, to get hands-on, get involved with it. When um, with Dolly first came out and you could do the text to, you know, text to pictures, I was all, all in on it. And I annoyed everybody in my family because I kept doing stuff and just show them here's here's like a monkey on a motorcycle on Mars driving because <laughs> it was so fun to do. You know, it's the, it was just and 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 this is if, if for people watching this who have kids, this is a, the easiest way to annoy them is to really be up on what's going on on TikTok what's going on on Twitter, what's going on in pop culture and talk about it because it drives them crazy because they're like, wait a minute, you're my dad. You're not supposed to know this stuff. What's wrong with you? This is like our stuff. And it, it drives them up a wall that, you, you know, you understand like whatever the latest meme is, whatever the, you know, pop culture thing that's going on or the next technology. So I find out just, you don't have to be experts in it, but it's nice to do be an expert in it, but to have a kind of good passing familiarity helps in those conversations, you know, in an interview, in a networking event, in a, you know, having a conference call. So like, if you're the one who could kind of, oh yeah. And then talk about something that's current, that something is maybe techie, that's going to make you stand out, right? Like you don't have to be the guru, but at least you it shows, wow, this person is intellectually curious and they want to kind of learn new things. Does, does that make sense? Is that, is that helpful? As you were talking, I thought yeah. a word came to mind, a phrase came to mind. Curiosity is age agnostic. Mm -hmm. So um, if I were to leave one bit of advice to anybody listening today, uh, go look it up and find out what are the top 10 exponential technologies that exist on the planet today. Metaverse, blockchain, artificial intelligence, internet of things, quantum computing. There's, you know, a few more, a handful more. And just get a definition for each one of them. Keep it by you. It comes in handy because, you know, a year ago, Jack, you and I were like wandering around in the mm -hmm. metaverse, right? Or a mm -hmm. year and a half ago, the AI moment came out. And we were wandering in the metaverse. The metaverse is not going away. Um, you and I have a working knowledge. We've made presentations mm -hmm. in the metaverse. We've created avatars for ourselves. Right. Yeah. So it's like, like, oh, well, what do I wear? Do I wear black or do I wear yeah. red? Shoes do I wear? Boots. You know, these were things that I was thinking about when I was presenting in the metaverse. It's not going away. Um, augmented reality is going to become 
uh, more of a, a bigger thing. So we have this big AI moment now, but let's have a working knowledge. I mean, blockchain, supremely useful concept and technology. It's, you know, it actually manages everything and the exchange of everything without having a middleman. How useful is that? I mean, that's just its simplest um, description, but blockchain is going to become and continues to be important to us. We're just a little bit sidetracked right now with AI, 58,000 companies. You know, and I like that advice because if you look at the top 10, 15, whatever, 20 uh, top fast growing technologies and kind of the verbiage around it, you don't have to be that expert actually doing and applying it, but knowing it, because I'll give you an example outside of it. I used to be very much into sports when I was younger, but then I had this epiphany where like, I'm rooting for a guy who's making 500 million a year, who's playing against another person who's making 500 a year. But and I'm like, this is silly. Like, and I just lost, it's so funny that I just really lost interest in paying attention to, because it's almost like rooting for IBM versus AT&T, you know, because there's so, you know, there are so much money involved. But I know people love talking about it. So I make a point to keep up with what's happening, let's say with the Mets or the Giants or what's happening in football, what's happening this. Do I go deep into it? No, Do, I'm very superficial. So if they ask deep questions, I'm in trouble. But I try to have a superficial knowledge because I know that's you know what we used to call water cooler talk when we were in the office. You know we have that water cooler talk, so you could kind of add to it instead of just sitting there awkwardly like, oh, I don't know what you guys are talking about, and you feel like a weirdo left out. So just having the knowledge to say, oh yeah, I saw this play, or you know you know you know in this baseball game, or saw this whatever. So it shows okay. This person knows, so you can kind of be a little bit in that conversation. Similarly, right? In the same thing with, 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 with technology, to have enough that you could talk about it, you know, and that, you know, you feel like, okay. So now people around me realize, oh, all right, this person gets it. I mean, seriously, it's people work with people they know, like, yeah. and they hire people they know, like, and trust. Yes. Ted Lasso taught me that it's important to know about soccer and football, right? It's like th these things are important. So if I'm working with somebody in Europe or in Australia, and I know that rugby and you know soccer are really important, I'm going to want to know that. If I'm conducting a branding session in Australia, I'm going to figure out um, what stars in their sports are important to them as examples. Of course, I could use the Michael Jordan right. example because he is global, but uh, there are limits um, to what we, uh, being US-centric at times, mm -hmm. uh, we can start to think only about us and our businesses. It's more personal. Like, so if you go deep and who's like the, the go-to, the Michael Jordan of you know, rugby in Australia or New Zealand, then like, they're like, wow. Marty, how do you know that? And then you just like pass it off. Like, oh, of course I know that. Yeah, sure. <laughs> you know? So we covered a lot. Is there anything that I haven't asked you that you feel or any projects you're working on that you'd like to share with the audience? Yeah, there is one project and okay. actually, this is a call to action. 
Um, I am co-authoring a book with Melissa Wilson. She has written at least a dozen books and um, it's uh, the book that we're writing is about building your brand within corporations and what are the things that happen when you are building a brand within the corporation? What are the benefits to the organization? Mm. What are the risks to both sides of that? Because it's different than when you're independent and you're building your own brand. When you're working in a corporation, it's a very special nuanced way to think about it, to, to be a partner with the organization. So we're writing that book and we're looking for people now to interview that actually work in corporations mm -hmm. that um, are thinking about how do I have a legacy for myself and build this brand that is conducive to the corporate brand um, and the employer brand and my individual brand. Uh, so if anyone out there uh, fits that description, we're looking for people right now who work in corporations and are leaning towards this philosophy or are doing it. That's great. So for people who are interested in helping out, giving their stories for your book, but then also people who just want to reach out to you, how, how can they, uh, how can they get a hold of you? Um, I, they could go to my, on my LinkedIn profile. Mm -hmm. uh, all of my information is there. My email address, phone number, um, everything. So um, it's, you know, Marty, I'm the only Marty constant in the world. Really? So, that's, that's cool. That, that's helpful. Well, it's a shortened name. Yeah. From a much longer. <laughs> and uh, I, I married into it. And yeah. it, it gave me my corporate name, constant change, the K, it never changes. Um, so so yes, Marty Constant on LinkedIn, and I'm an open networker as well. So it's all on my, you know, contact. It's all on my. All I'm my embarrassed book. to ask what's what is an open networker. Open networker is people that are willing and interested in connecting with others. Um, so I often will connect, not just follow. So when you get, does that mean a LinkedIn invite to somebody or does that mean just you know, I'm open if you want to talk to me kind of thing? Open for connections on LinkedIn. Okay. Where yeah, some people may not want it, but that you want to make it clear. Hey, if you want to reach out, I'm open. We'll talk. Is that? Yeah. It's not cool. I'm going to talk to everyone who reaches out, but I'm going to connect. We're probably going to do, you know, have some exchanges um, in the um, message area. And if it's appropriate, we, we will have a chat. This is great. Well, I really. Using LinkedIn, LinkedIn uh, calls uh, some people open networkers and some people are closed networkers, but open networkers is a phrase that I got from LinkedIn. Excellent. Well, I really appreciate you taking time out. This is, this is great. Uh, I love talking about branding. I can't wait to see the book when it's done. Uh, I think that's so important for people. I love the fact we're talking about AI, how to you know grow within your organization. So we covered a lot of ground today. So so I think this is going to help a lot of people who you know particularly let's talk about you know, like the one about staying where you are having a brand and then staying with the organization because a lot of people might be in that spot and they don't know what to do. So I think you gave them like a masterclass, you know what to do to try to get ahead within your organization. 
you know, and then when things get better, maybe then you're ready to move on. And that could be the next time. Talk about that. So thank you so much for taking the time, Mari. This is awesome. Thanks, Jack. Excellent. My pleasure. Take care. Bye-bye.